Hello there, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. I am Jared Garrett, your insider and former unwilling cultist. I am not here to whine at you about my childhood. I'm just here to tell you some stories. Today's stories should be uh, a variety of things. Entertaining, bemusing, droll, scary in some cases, maybe. I don't know, man. Uh, it's called Water Activities. This, this is going to be episode 21, Water Activities. Uh, our little quick preamble, as most of you know, I was born and raised in a cult slash commune. It was for real. Uh, it started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology. It was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. It was a little infamous in the UK and USA for a bit. Uh, when I was born, around the exact same time that I was born, that cult, the Process Church, da -da -da -da, broke apart into the, the people dedicated to that one, the Process thing, and those who made a new culty commune, which they called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium. By the time I was aware of the name of the group, it would actually evolved into the Foundation Faith of God with some interesting symbolism, which I've included on the new cover, updated cover art. And uh, it's now not a cult at all. In fact, it is Best Friends Animal Society, an organization which I respect and am pleased that they're out there doing what they are for animals. I think it's important to uh, do that. So thank you guys for doing the work that you do. I'm just here to tell the listeners here about being a kid in this commune. That was a cult, but a commune more than anything else by the time I was really um, aware of life around me. As always, there are questions. If you have them, you may send them to jared at jaredgarrett.com. You can tweet them at me. You can uh, I don't Facebook them at me, I suppose. Uh, feel free to ask. And I'm always available for speaking engagements. And you may join the tribe, which I'm not going to call the insiders because that implies that you're in the cult, which you're not. But you can join the tribe that has, the small tribe, that has clicked the support this podcast link just below this description. Uh, thanks again for joining. No questions today. So we get to jump right into our discussed discussion here, again called water activities. So let's just start at the beginning. So I actually don't know when... My fear of water began, but I was afraid of water for many years. Now, when I say afraid of water, that doesn't mean that I was like I wouldn't get in it because um, I was full of daring do over the years. Um, but I I was legitimately scared of um, water itself, being in it, what could possibly happen to me in it. And maybe it has to do with a couple of uh, experiences I had as a, as a youth uh, sort of person there. So, for starters, I believe we were probably in New York. The, the, the image that I have in my memory uh, is a pretty distinct one of a large-ish space. It was probably outside, considering the mess that was made. Um, some sort of large-ish space that... Uh, it's hard to say that word, that, that phrase together. The cult folkeronis had put together... Uh, they had arranged several... Kind of, some of You know those kiddie pools you can buy at the grocery stores? In the summer, they're like, I don't know, four or five feet across and not even a foot deep, right? So they had arranged several of those in this space, assume outside maybe because of the wet, and they filled them with water most of the way up, and it was time to get baptized. Again, I was probably about three. And as I watched, I saw my uh, cult siblings getting their themselves baptized, and what that meant was it, um, they were being made to essentially get kind of either sit down on the floor with their back to the edge of the pool 
or kind of sit back, sit with their butt on the on their feet as they knelt, so they could be pushed backwards. And once they were settled, they would be pushed in backwards into the water, their face, their head going under, with their face going under last, until their whole head and upper body was submerged, and uh, then they would be brought back out. And that was baptism. Now, that doesn't resemble any baptism that I'm aware of, although I, I freely admit that I am not an expert on ritualistic baptism uh, throughout, you know, the baptizing world. I, I mean, I know that when um, my nephew was baptized Catholic, uh, I believe Roman Catholic, they sprinkled some water on his head. Um, I know I've seen some interesting submersions for tiny little kids. I've seen some, you know, um, evangelical churches, they do the full submersion like my church does um, and stuff. But this one was submerge the head and then pull us out. And that was scary. And so I got nervous. I was quite young. I got quite nervous about what was about to happen to me. So I got pretty stiffened up, man. I was like, mm, I don't know about this one. Uh, but uh, I was going to have to do it anyway. We weren't asked if we wanted to do it. We were told it was time. And so, yeah, I was really tight up, really tight. And um, sat down on my butt and was grabbed by some adult or two, I guess, and shoved backwards. I don't know any words were said. I would assume some words were said, something along the lines of, hey, you're baptized, tra-la-la. But um, yeah, that's how it was. And it was terrifying. I was under the water for probably a second, maybe less. And I was terrified, just out of my mind. So um, came up sopping wet, spluttering, hacking water in my nose, of course. Of course, water's getting in your nose. You're not old enough to push it out or hold your nose. They didn't let us practice and hold our nose during it. It was altogether unpleasant. And then uh, was wet. So that was that. Yeah. So, you know, being baptized terrifyingly was the beginning of a not comfortable relationship with water for some years of my life. Um, and again, I don't know where they got that particular practice for baptism. Uh, but I don't recommend it. You know, if you're going to start a cult, I mean, let, let's talk seriously now. If you're planning on starting a cult, number one, well, let me give you some advice, right? I mean, I've, I've been there. I didn't start one, but I was there. I've seen it in action. I worked for an organization that was mm, semi-cult-like, right? I mean, <laughs> Amazon, <clears throat> excuse me. So if you're going to start a cult, if you're planning on starting a cult, let me give you some advice. Uh, just a couple items. Number one, don't. 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 Number two, even if, if, if you go ahead and start a cult, even though you really shouldn't because you just shouldn't, but if you go ahead and start a cult, my recommendation is that your baptism ritual not involve terrifying children. I would assume that your cult that you start, which you shouldn't start anyway, is something that you're going to want to have it kind of last for a while and stuff. I mean, it sort of makes sense that you'd want it to last for a bit. Maybe even another a second generation. If you want to not drive the kids away, probably don't have them start their lives in that cult with a terrifying, terrifying memory of a terrifying, terrifying baptism ritual. So that's advice two. And advice three, here you got it. Don't start a cult. Okay. So that's my terrifying getting baptized story. I've used the word terrifying a lot, and I'll try not to use it again. Now, so, I mean, that's where I would think some fear started. Uh, but, I mean, kids, many, not all kids, many kids do have a natural fear of the of water, of being in the water and the lack of control that's in there. I mean, you feel like there's nothing under you. Uh, and so I could see how there's some fear of that. And I had that. Uh, some of my, some of our kids have had that too, which is fine. Um, 
they're all over that, which is kind of fantastic. Um, in any case, the you know we we were we did water activities growing up, a pool, um, not like not in the house or anything until much much later, uh, and YWCA over the years, lakes here and there, uh, ponds and stuff like that, um, but. The next real activity that I recall specifically in the water was when I was living in Dallas for the first time. Now, this was in, in front of the houses called Swiss. And uh, so D D Dallas was beginning to evolve into where the kids were, but it wasn't fully there. And so I, my, this was my first tent there. And I was uh, nine, maybe, maybe pr more, probably more like eight uh, there. And because there were quite a few kids, youngish like me, um, I um, Lucia had her good moments, and she decided that it would be fun to have a pretty significantly sized uh, out front lawn pool uh, installed. Now that wasn't where you dig a big hole; it's one of those ones that's got a support, right? I mean, it's a big, big sheet of rubbery plastic uh, with a support and several beams that hold up this support, and then you fill it up for several hours, and then it's cool. No chlorine, really. Not a filter of any kind. A little ladder that you climb up. It's the kind of pool that you see in those um, fail videos where too often people are being filmed getting hurt. It's not nice. In any case, she she bought one or had bought had the the, the branch of, of Dallas buy one of those. Had it set up there in the front yard of the of the main Swiss house, and um, the kids frolicked. And you know, I frolicked here and there. I think it was as high as. I would guess three and a half feet because I, I wouldn't really do a whole lot of swimming. I would kind of bounce off the bottom and float across and bounce off the bottom. Uh, so I, I stuck to fairly safe things. Um, one time, uh, the kids were in the water at the same time that um, so some of the visiting adults, so some adults were visiting from Best Friends, which was the new, uh, well, it was called Angel Canyon at the time, from Angel Canyon where they'd recently bought the this headquarters. I think probably in large part due to the finances that Dallas was able to provide because they had a lot of people willing to go out and raise money. Uh, some of the founders of the cult, uh, who became, of course, the founders of Best Friends, good on you guys for doing that work, uh, were visiting Dallas and they arrived while we kids were frolicking. Uh, I don't remember who it was. At least one of them was British, at least one, and one of them was Francis. Francis being uh, one of the big kind of founder guys. He's a good man. Uh, he's got great kids. Um, I, 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 they're very much my, my siblings, uh, in every way, but blood, um, I have a very special place in my heart for those guys. Uh, and Francis is a good man. Um, and one of the fun stories about Francis, before I tell you this unfortunate one, uh, is that they're at best friends, uh, in one of the summers that we were trucked out there to do all the work, um, for at least one summer, I believe it was one summer, every night, uh, as we kids were settling into our tents, it was probably nine, nine thirty at night. It was dark. Um, we'd hear Francis step out of the bunkhouse, which is where all the adults lived at the time, uh, step out the back door and yell, Freddy, Freddy, Fred, 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 Freddy, at the top of his lungs. And his voice would ring across the canyon that the bunkhouse kind of backed into. Uh, and what, what would happen is that there was, um, there was some, at least one great horned owl that was sort of plaguing the canyon at the time. And it was taken off with with people's cats, you know, the, especially the smaller cats. Just just catching them and taking them away and eating them. 
And uh, there was a lot of worry that people's cats, if they went missing for a night, had been taken by the great horned owl. Uh, and Francis certainly felt that that was a chance. But he held out hope for his, his cat that he loved, Freddie, and would call for him every night. Um, I believe for the whole summer calling for him. I don't think Freddie turned up. But, you know, I have a lot of respect for Francis and, and his dedication to that cat. You know, heart's in the right place. Well-intentioned guy uh, for whatever flaws he probably has. We all have flaws, right? But in any case, he was one of the delega delegation of founder people who uh, showed up in Dallas that day. And he, I guess he thought it'd be funny to tease me and play with me. He certainly had no malice in his heart, right? None. Uh, certainly, he would have been nice to, to, to have him stop and think that maybe it's not a good idea. But as I was kind of bouncing over that way towards the, the side that they were walking by to get into the house, he uh, reached down and grabbed my head and pushed me under the water. And it wasn't just a being pushed. It was like it, my head being grabbed. So it felt fastened and secured by his hand. Not a big guy by any means. And he wasn't squeezing hard, but I felt trapped by it. And I panicked and felt like I was being um, nearly drowned. You know, I wasn't really drowned, except for panic can drown you, right? Uh, but I was being held under. And then he let me go and I sputtered and coughed. And he, I don't remember what happened after that, but it was clearly a joke for him. And, you know, so I have I don't have any uh, anger in my heart for him, but I'm pretty sure that contributed to my, uh, to the ongoing fear of water that I had growing up. Um, and let this be a lesson to you, you favorite uncles who want to be cool to your nephews, which is surely how he saw me, right? Just as a, you know, possibly just a passing affection for this kid who was kind of a goofy kid. And he thought he'd have some fun with me. It was too bad that it, the fun wasn't uh, enjoyed by me. Uh, but don't, don't play that joke. Don't play that joke. It's a dangerous joke. Uh, it can be an injuring joke. Um, it just, yeah, I, I just recommend it. you don't do it. So uh, this boy, this, this episode is full of advice. Uh, don't play the joke of pushing your nephew, any child's head underwater. It's terrifying. Um, yeah, I just don't recommend it. Now, but I'm not afraid of water now. Uh, I'm not afraid of much of anything with water, uh, except for possibly jumping from too high and getting hurt. Uh, and my, that fear I was able to deliberately deal with over many years for through a variety of, of methods. Uh, number one is this was partly me, but mostly the cult uh, in Dallas. As part of faith school, upon you know returning to faith school from my Denver, uh, I don't know, sabbatical, I guess you could call it. I was there for about a year and a half. Um, Returning to Dallas, we uh, were going to faith school and we were supposed to have a full education. And so um, for PE, we uh, for part of the school year, every year, we went to the YWCA in, in Dallas. I don't know what part of town it's in. Uh, and a wonderful elderly lady would give us group swimming lessons, um, which meant there was no one-on-one -on -one time whatsoever. However, she did teach us the strokes. She taught us how our bodies were supposed to look and behave in the water. Uh, tried to teach us to kick properly. She, we did a few kicking exercises. Uh, and uh, you know, I tolerated the lessons. I wasn't very good at it. I, I really was a little too nervous to commit to any uh, real full-bodied commitment of, you know, to stretch out and, and, and just trust the water to, to hold me up, trust my legs to kick me and propel me forward, and my hands and arms to do the same. So the lessons weren't great for me, although I gained a general kind of philosophical understanding of how swimming worked. And I got pretty good at lying on my back in the water and being not too worried. Um, but that was that. But 
other cool activities there were that I, I became very good at holding my breath and swimming a long distance underwater with my breath held, of course, because uh, I, I can't breathe underwater. I am not Jason Momoa, nor am I Aquaman. So let's just put that um, particular idea to bed. So, yes, I uh, we did the swimming. I would swim underwater. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. Horsed around with a lot of the kids. I got along really well with the younger ones, and which were mostly girls. We just... I was happy to play and, and, and have fun with him. So that was nice. Um, and I have good memories of that of that pool. The YWCA is also where we played volleyball a lot. It's where I began to get good at volleyball uh, and so on. So that's a good experience of swimming. Hey, there you go. And another good experience with water. Uh, there in Dallas at some point, I um, sailed. I don't remember the circumstance that led to it, but it was with... Evan, whose name had been Corwin, but Lucia had said that man that name was too manly, too masculine. Uh, Corwin. It sounds like a. I mean, it sounds like a freaking Viking. You know what I'm saying? Corwin the Red. Um, you know, a little aside. How to Train Your Dragon is one of the greatest animated trilogies of all time, and possibly one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Moving back to the uh, podcast. So Corwin had changed his name to Evan. Apparently, this guy knew how to sail. And so did a few other people. I believe Julius was involved at this time. I was in my mid-teens to late teens. And I somehow got to join this group of people who had rented a boat for one of the vacation-type holiday things that the cult did every couple of years. Um, or at least the branch, the Dallas branch of the cult did. And so I got to be on the sailboat. And we were on a lake somewhere in Texas. Yes, Texas has lakes. A pretty big one, it seems, if I recall. I couldn't see the other side that I remember. And we tacked, right? I and mean, we tacked into the wind and used the wind to move us forward, even though the wind wasn't right behind us. That was crazy. I had a great time. I loved it. We cooked along really well. I got nice and sunburned like I always did in the sun. And I had a really good time sailing. Who knew, right? Um, and and I, that, that, that began my, my, love of ac my ac love of actual sailing with a sailboat uh, on a fairly big boat. I, I struggle with... With, like, motion sickness now, I don't think it's just entirely because of age. I have really terrible tinnitus due to mistreatment of myself for many years. Uh, and so uh, the tinnitus seems to have given me a bit of vertigo. And so now I actually don't, I'm not a big fan of much sailing of any kind. I get motion sick really easily in boats. Enough about that. I was about to say enough about me, but <laughs> this whole podcast is about me. Love sailing. I enjoy it. I probably would enjoy it now, too. Um... Were, not, were I in generally good, better shape. So uh, another interesting fun water activity was the lake in Quakertown. Now I've mentioned Quakertown, right? I mentioned that Quakertown was one of my favorite places growing up. Heck, I based my first book, Beyond the Cabin, uh, in the property, in the home we lived in, in Quakertown, which was really outside on the edge of Quakertown, right? Uh, and there was a pond there, a goose pond. Uh, it was a goose pond because that's where the geese lived. Bef you know, during the summer, the squawking, the honking down there was pretty significant. And so was the large, substantial piles of goose poo. Guys, goose poo's bigger than like a wiener dog's poo. I'm just telling you, man. Sorry to get graphic. <sighs> Boy. So, yeah, that was gross and stuff. But the goose pond in the winter would freeze over. And that's where I first tried to ice skate. And found that I wasn't terrible. I fell once or twice, but I had a pretty good balance. 
and I could propel myself okay. It wasn't bad at all. And then we would also do this fun activity where one of the older, bigger boys, like Julius or Daniel, would uh, kind of lie on their stomach on the on the on the bank of the of the lake, the frozen lake at this point. Um, they weren't on the ice, but they were on the on the edge of the ice. And I would lie on my stomach with my knees bent, but and my feet planted into their hands. And so on three, they would push me as hard as they could across the ice, and I would straighten my legs as hard as I could, and I'd go sliding across the ice. Uh, trying to reach like as far as I could. Man, that was fun. Rocketing across this this goose pond ice, propelled by one of those older kids. That was one of those silly, fun uh, things that we did to, to entertain ourselves. Um, and then the last story about water. And then I'll just tell you a little bit about what I've achieved with water since. Yeah, water is kind of a weird theme. But it, I mean, there are some stories, you know. These are the vivid images that I recall from the cult. Um, I, you know, and I would think that some of them aren't really going to be unique to cult com commune life, right? So, so it's interesting for me to think about how, you know, yeah, there are, I have the unique origin story and I uh, do have a, a childhood that is rather fraught with some rather colorful characters and stories and sometimes very unpleasant stories. But I also still have shared experiences with people of my generation um, when digital stuff wasn't all of the pastime, right? Uh, I'm not shaking my fist and saying, slow that thing down and get off my yard. I'm just saying that we didn't have the distractions and the other endeavors that we have that are native to screens. Uh, our distractions and pastimes are native to outdoors. Um, and so you got really creative, right? Uh, and so that was that. So there's that. And let me tell you a little bit about the swans in Dallas. It's funny. I just told this story to, um, to a group of... Uh, writers who are leaders of their local guild, uh, writing guild. And uh, it's really got a lot of application to a lot of things. Uh, in their case, I was telling it an application of, you know, gaining allies for our journeys. Uh, in my case, when, by the, by the time we moved to Richardson, I had started finally opening up to, um, this was in the Dallas area, Texas. Uh, I'd started, finally started opening up to some of my other siblings who weren't real siblings, but were cult siblings. So they really kind of were my siblings. Um, Especially the girls, Aston and Vanessa, became, uh, I became better friends with them, uh, partly because I got more interested in who they were and how they were ju not just extensions of my imagination. They were real human beings with their own lives and their own challenges uh, and, and their own desires in life. So we just had some really nice conversations and I revealed a couple things about me, which um, made us all, I think, just connect better. By the time we moved to Richardson, we were pretty good friends. And um, I really, boy, I tell you what. I just appreciate them so much. Um, dealing with difficult me, uh, isolated Jared, the guy who decided to be a loner. Uh, they just welcomed my presence in their little group because Esther and Vanessa got along. They were always together. They were, they were a pair. Um, so I really appreciate them and their generosity of spirit and friendship. Uh, so at Richardson, when we moved there, we moved into, it's the suburbs, right? I mean, the suburbs tend, tend, tend to feel just swankier. Than where we lived in the other parts of Dallas, it was a little more downtowny, um, residential area of downtowny, but downtowny. Uh, Richardson was more wide open spaces, bigger houses, uh, more sprawling kind of houses, uh, big alleys and streets, um, and uh, green belts, playgrounds, parks, and ponds here and there. And that one 
we found that there was a park near the house that the girls and, mo and many of the adults lived in, which was on Chattington, by the way, Chattington Street or Chattington Avenue. Um, Boulevard? I don't care. It doesn't matter. In any case, so they, um, they lived there in Chattington, and there was a park nearby with a pond. And this pond, like I say, had swans, and it was pretty. And on nice Sunday mornings before celebration, before like the big Sunday service, uh, Asta, Vanessa, and Johanna, and I uh, would pack up a bit of a, a snack lunch meal thing. Uh, my radio, which was a boombox, one of those things, baby, with a handle, two speakers, and plenty of batteries and several cassettes and pockets of jackets and stuff. Uh, sometimes some umbrellas, usually a sweatshirt because it might be a little chilly or just, you know, we, we wore a thing. And uh, we would get on our bikes. I would bike over to Chattington and then we would do a little convoy train of going over to the, the, the Swan Pond and have a nice time. So the swans were great. They're pretty. But every so often they realized that we were the ones who had food. I think we must have fed them once. Big mistake, man. And they probably were, were used to patrons of the park feeding them. And so they got aggressive. Guys, so Swan's a big critter, especially when that critter opens its wings and charges you and hisses at you. That doesn't think, that thing doesn't look like it's going to be scared of a darn thing. Uh, and so we got in a couple hairy situations where we were trying to keep the swans off, but we didn't want to retreat. But a couple of times we did have to beat a hasty retreat from that park. Um, but other times we were able to stick around. You know, maybe they didn't notice us or they weren't there that day. But we also uh, would listen to music. Um, some of the music that we listened to was Ennio Morricone's uh, soundtrack to that beautiful, beautiful film, The Mission. Da -da 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 -da. You know, Gabriel's oboe. It's a beautiful, beautiful soundtrack the whole thing top to bottom is poignant and sweet uh, and powerful and it tells this um, a, a, extraordinary story and Ennio Morricone I think it's his best work ever we'd listen to that we'd, we'd talk we sometimes would listen to rock and roll out there we'd talk and chat and have a nice morning about half an hour to an hour and then ride back and prepare ourselves for the celebration that we had to do uh, yep that's uh that's what we did and that pond was fun but now is some more advice for you. If you're going to go to a pond and there are swans there and you're planning on eating, they're going to find out and they're going to want some of what you're eating. So I recommend you wear a jacket, a jacket with a pretty heavy duty zipper. Why? Because the heavy duty zipper will have a pretty heavy duty zip on it. And what you'll do is if they start advancing on you, you take your jacket off. And you hold it by the hood or the top collar or whatever. And you swing it. You swing it in wide circles above your head and to, to your side and in front of you. And it makes this kind of whizz, whizz, whizz sound after a little while because it's going fast. And the swans backed off from that sucker. I have a strong, strong image of holding my boombox with some music playing. I forget what. I think even in Yomorikoni. And me swinging my jacket, fending off the swans as the girls gathered up the food so we could head out of there. That was a good time. So important safety tip for life. There's your life hack for today. Uh, swing your zippered jacket in wide circles quickly to fend off attacking swans. You heard it here first, folks. And that is the end of today's episode, except I should tell you, when I was um, about 30 and a bit, is that right? Wow, yeah, 30 and a bit. Let's just say 30 and a bit, what? 
Uh, I we moved here to to Utah, and um, I was I quickly became more overweight than I really wanted to be. I'm not too wor worried about numbers, but as the numbers get bigger, boy, I got to fix it, right? Uh, so I, I started going to a local rec center, the Provo Rec Center, before it was um, rehabilitated or re rebuilt completely into some this amazing facility. This was next to the Provo High School. And I would walk down there and I would swim, but I was terrible at it. And so uh, every so often when I was on some sort of trip, I would go to a hotel pool and I'd watch the, these kind of older men um, languidly swim back and forth doing laps. And so I studied them, and every time I traveled, I would do that. And then if they were gone, I would go back. I'd go into the pool as soon as they were done, and I'd try to imitate exactly what I'd seen them doing. The way they rolled their bodies, the way they stretched, the way they kicked, the way they breathed. And in doing that, and then going to the Provo pool and watching people there, I taught myself to swim. And then later, I taught myself to swim fast. I'm not all that fast now, but I'm fast enough to do pretty well in a sprint triathlon which I did one of those about four years ago, hoping to get back up to one of those again. I love swimming now. I am not afraid of the water. I love it, and I uh, am grateful for all the experiences I had with it. And that's all I got. No moral lessons other than uh, nothing can stop you. Use every trauma. Use every difficulty. Use every challenge as a stepping stone, and then pick it up after you get off it and use it as armor and beat it into a sword to take down life. Thanks for listening again, guys. I appreciate it. Remember to keep telling your friends, your family, your enemies, uh, so we can just keep getting some more listeners. I'd love to get some more sponsors, maybe pay some bills. And hey, if you uh, happen to be an agent who's looking for a memoir about a kid who grew up in a cult, I know a guy. It's me. My memoir is good. Hit me up, yo. And until then, until next episode, which will be episode 22, in which I talk about my mother. Until then, thanks for listening. Stay thirsty, my friends.